This, this is one of those letters that, uh, I'll be honest, I can't wait, especially this chapter, I can't wait to get through it. All, all God's Word is, it's all good, uh, but sometimes uh, you're like, how about some of this easy, fluffy stuff, you know? Uh, what Peter, this, in, he, in his defense, this letter started on a positive note, right? He, uh, he stressed the, the power of God and uh, urged us to, you know, pursue godly character and all that kind of stuff. And then when we got to chapter 2, he turned his attention on all the things to watch out for, the things that are dangerous to us. And specifically, he talked a lot about false teachers. Uh, and so over the last few weeks, uh, we've been talking about that. He used a couple of examples, right, of how God delivered through people like Noah. And, um, but yeah, so he's, he's warning them about dangers that have started to creep into the church. As we get through this letter, it's important to remember uh, who wrote it, right, and what he's all about. So Peter, at his core, is a shepherd or a pastor, right? You remember that uh, that scene where, where Jesus asked him, he said, Peter, do you love me? And he said, yes, of course I love you. Then tend my sheep. And he asked him two more times, you know, feed my sheep, uh, uh, tend my in my flock. And so that's what Peter is all about, is trying to watch out for the sheep, the believers. Um, and so he wrote this to a church, to Christians, and the focus of the letter is him trying to shepherd this flock and trying to warn them about dangers, about wolves, about things that they may encounter. Uh, and it's all about, you know, not how to get to heaven, but he assumes you're going to heaven and before you do, right, until either Jesus comes back or you go to be with Jesus, here's how you're to live. Here's how to prepare for life here. Um, and so over the last couple of messages, like I said, we've been kind of going over all that stuff. And those of you that have heard me speak on Sundays before, you know, I always comment about this one thing. Every time Chris lets me preach, I think he sets me up. Like he pulls a prank on me or something. Because it's almost always like, hey, I'm out of town this week. You get to preach on women, submit to your husbands. I'm like, thanks. How about let me do John 3.16, you know? Or you get to preach about giving or whatever. Uh, so, you know, this week, though, he gave me, um, I get to cover a verse that, you know, it's one of those those cool memory verses that, you know, you put on a sign next to your, like, live, laugh, love stuff. You know, like some of us have, uh, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I'll give you a little sneak peek. Here's one of the verses we get to cover. Second uh, Peter 2, verse 22. A dog returns to its own vomit. <laughs> Thanks, fellas. That's, that's where we're going to be. Uh, let's, let's pray and then we'll get into it, all right? Jesus, we thank you this morning for allowing us to be here together, that we get to uh, gather together freely you bless us to live in a place where we can do that, and we take it for granted. Uh, God, we just pray that you'd bless the message today, that um, we would not just be entertained or uh, or just grow in knowledge, but Lord, we would leave here knowing you better and knowing who we can be in and through you. Lord, we pray for your blessing on the message and on the hearts of your people, and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so like I said, Second uh, Peter... Chapter 2, um, for the most part, he's been dealing with, you know, false teachers and how to, how God can deliver us from 
temptations and trouble. And he gave a few examples of what a false teacher might look like, right? That they would um, despise authority. They don't want to have accountability, and that's a that's a dangerous thing. Uh, that they would speak as if they have power that they don't have. Like when you hear uh, TV evangelists talk about how they ordered the devil around and stuff like that. Uh, and, and the biggest thing was just pride. Pride is one of those things that can um, creep its way into anyone's life, and especially... Uh, a teacher. So now he starts to give us a few more practical ways to identify dangerous folks and dangerous things in our own life. So we'll pick up in Second Peter 2, verse 12. He says, These, like unreasoning animals, born as creatures of instinct to be captured and killed, reviling where they have no knowledge, will in the destruction of those creatures also be destroyed. So he's talking about, again, these false teachers. He says they're uh, they're like unreasoning animals, like a dangerous animal that you, you need to drive it out, right? Uh, a coyote that's got rabies, you need to put it down. You need to get it out of out of the flock. Um, and so it's easy when we read this stuff to go, yeah, drive out those kind of people. But remember, we all have the, the potential for this stuff. Um, most of us live our lives... Like animals, we we make decisions on our you know our animal instincts. Uh, we like to eat, sleep, maybe reproduce a little, and you know live a life of ease and comfort. That's what most of us are after. But God did something to separate us from any other living thing on the planet. He put eternity in our hearts. The Bible says. Right? We're the only living creature that has a concept of mortality and spirituality. And so because of that, he's calling us to, you know, I made you different, now cultivate that, right? And don't, if you don't, if you don't cultivate that part of your life, you're just an animal with better food. Uh, and so, we're not to be governed by our animal instincts, because our animal instincts Seem like a good idea, right? The things that come naturally to us. But God called us to lead supernatural lives. And so you've probably heard me use this as an example. But when I'm hungry, Jim's pizza sounds delicious, right? That's what I want. It's not necessarily what's best for my body, you know? Uh, so we, we don't want to be governed by our animal instincts. I'm not saying don't eat Jim's pizza. It's, it's, I'm pretty sure made uh, out of manna from heaven. But. <clears throat> we'll read on here. Verse 13. He says, suffering wrong as the wages of doing wrong. So people that are living by their animal instincts are going to reap the, the wages of that. That's one of the, the universal laws that God put into place is that you do reap what you sow. Right? You put a seed in the ground, what comes out of that seed is going to be the same every time. Uh, you plant one seed of corn, you don't get one piece of corn back. Right? You get, hopefully, lots of ears and a seed on each ear. Um, so these people, living by animal instincts, are going to reap the rewards or the, the problems from it. Right? They have, they're always going to have uh, things a little out of whack. It says, they count it as pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are stains and blemishes, reveling in their 
deceptions as they carouse with you. So that people living by animal instincts, our judgment gets a little skewed. Your judgment can get so out of whack that things that you once would never have done or you would have been embarrassed to do, you feel okay to do in the light of day, right? Like people that wear pajamas to Walmart. You've made a series of poor decisions in your life that led you, that led you to a place where you think that's okay. You know? And we've all probably experienced that, right? Something that maybe we thought we would never even try, and now it's just a part of our lives because we're addicted to it. Verse 14, he says, Having eyes full of adultery that never cease from sin, enticing unstable souls, having a heart trained in greed, accursed children. So these... These types of teachers will are attracted to unstable souls, he says. That word unstable, um, you know, the, the Webster's definition is just wavering in purpose or intent, lacking steadiness, easily swayed, characterized by a lack of emotional control. I don't know about you, but that's me depending on the hour, depending on the day, right? But, of course, they're they're drawn to people that are easily swayed, that maybe aren't um, where they need to be intellectually or, or with their understanding of the faith. And so they're drawn to people, souls that are looking for something but haven't actually been discipled, haven't grown in the Word. I've got a little quote here. There's a guy named J.C. Ryle from years ago. He said this. He says, What is the best safeguard against false doctrine? I answer in one word, Scripture. The Bible regularly read, regularly prayed over, regularly studied. And his beard game was on point, so <laughs> listen to that guy. Right? If we don't know how to tell the difference between truth and a lie, it's, easily, it's easy to be taken in by a lie. He says also that their hearts are trained in greed. And he uses the word that's described how an athlete, you know, prepares for a competition. Our hearts are constantly being trained, whether we realize it or not. We're always taking stuff in. And it's not just what goes in that defiles us, but what comes out. And what comes out comes from our heart. I have a friend uh, who's a little older than me in the faith. And, and when I see him, he almost always asks me the same question. He says, How's your heart? And for a long time, I was like, I know I'm heavy, but dude, you know. But now I get it. He, it's, it's easy for our heart to get hardened, to get tainted. Solomon said this in Proverbs 4. He said, above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. So how's your heart this morning? Good. Good for you. All right. Second Peter 2, verse 15. We'll read on. He says, uh, forsaking the right way, like we just sang about, right? The, the way, the truth, and the life. They have gone astray, having followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. 
But he received a rebuke for his own transgression, for a mute donkey, speaking with the voice of a man, restrained the madness of a prophet. That Those two verses alone are wild. But if you don't know this story, uh, buckle up. Right. So this is he's, he's referring to something that took place in the Old Testament. As the people of Israel, you know, they, they were set free or they, you know, came out of Egypt. They wandered through the wilderness. And we always think of it like, like as a little camp of people. We're talking two or three million people. And they're marching through hostile territory. And as they would come into a territory, two or three million people wreak a lot of havoc on the resources and on, you know, all their surroundings. So as they're approaching the territory of this one king, Balak, he grew concerned. He's like, I don't want them to come through my territory. So he had heard about a prophet that lived nearby, and he sends a couple messengers with some money trying to convince him to pronounce a curse on these people so that they would avoid his territory. And we'll pick up Numbers 22, verse 12. It says, and God said to Balaam, so this is after they'd asked, hey, pronounce a curse on them. Uh, you shall not go with them. You shall not curse the people, for they are blessed. So Balaam rose in the morning and said to the princes of Balak, go back to your land, for the Lord has refused to give me permission to go with you. All right, so God gave him clear direction, no. However, Balak didn't really like the answer that he got. Uh and so he, he sent some more messengers with even more money. And I skipped a couple verses there, but basically Balaam uh, let them know, hey, even if you brought me like a massive pile of money, hint, hint, I wouldn't go. And so they come back with a massive pile of money. And then Balaam's like, well, you know what? Stay the night. Uh, I'll ask God again. Maybe he changed his mind. Um, and God says basically, you know what? Just go. I already gave you a real answer. You didn't like that answer. So do what you're going to do. And he saddles up his donkey, and, and uh, which this donkey apparently is more spiritually attuned than he is. And as he's riding along, the angel of the Lord appears. Now, incidentally, when you in the Old Testament, when you see that term, the angel of the Lord, very often your Bible will capitalize the A on angel because oftentimes that is... Um, uh, Christophany, it's a, 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 an appearance of Jesus in the Old Testament uh, without calling him Jesus, right? And so this angel appears uh, ahead of them in Numbers 22, verse 23. It says, Now the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his drawn sword in his hand. And the donkey said, Nope, right? And the donkey said, I ain't, No, I ain't going there. So he turns aside, or she turns aside out of the way and went into the field. So Balaam struck the donkey to turn her back onto the road. So they go along a little further, and again, donkey looks up, sees the angel of the Lord, and says no, tries to go the opposite direction, and ends up pinning his uh, Balaam's leg up against a cliff or a rock, and so he beats her again. Finally, they reach a point where there's nowhere to go. In order to go forward, they've got to go through the angel of the Lord, and the donkey just says, Forget it. And sets down. Right? Verse 28. says, Then the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey. And she said to Balaam, What have I done to you that you have struck me these three times? And Balaam said to the donkey. Now, before we read on. 
Think of how angry you had to, you would have to be that when the donkey talks, your first instinct isn't to completely freak out, right? It's to argue with the donkey. The Balaam said to the donkey, because you have abused me, I wish there were a sword in my hand, for now I would kill you. And so the donkey said to Balaam, am I not your donkey on which you have ridden ever since I became yours to this day? Was I ever disposed to do this to you? And he said, well, no. Then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his drawn sword in his hand, and he bowed his head and fell flat on his face. Verse 34, And Balaam said to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned, for I did not know you stood in the way against me. Now, therefore, if it displeases you, I will turn back. Now, think about that. God had already told him clearly, no, don't go. But if you want to do what you want to do, go ahead. And now he pretends that he didn't know. Verse 35, Then the angel of the Lord said to Balaam, Go with the men, but only the words that I speak to you, that you shall speak. So Balaam went with the princes of Balak. Now, what follows is he he goes and he tries to pronounce a curse on these people, and the words that come out are a blessing instead. And so they go and they try to build like a, a pillar and an altar to make it more, you know, acceptable. And he tries to speak it again. Same thing happens again. Three times he tries to pronounce a curse on the people and out comes a blessing instead. And Balak, Balak is big mad, right? Verse 8, 20, or Numbers 23, verse 8. Balaam says, how shall I curse whom God has not cursed? And how shall I denounce whom the Lord has not denounced? That seems like a happy ending, right? He's like, God bless them that I can only bless them. But Balaam's heart wasn't right. Uh, He had his heart set on getting a pile of that sweet, sweet Balak gold. And, uh, And he couldn't, he realized he couldn't curse Israel. But he might be able to put a stumbling block in their way to where they would curse themselves. And so he tells, tells Balak to send uh, some uh, Midianite women into their camp to basically seduce them. Um, some of the people commit adultery. Some of them intermarry, which whenever you see um, God forbidding Israel to intermarry with different nations, it never had anything to do with anybody's color or race. It had everything to do with uh, did they worship God or not. If they worshiped a false god, he says, they will pull you away from me. So they're dangerous. And that's what happens, right? They they end up worshiping false gods. It's a big mess. And so in order to gain wealth, uh, Balaam tried to go around God's clear commandments and cause God's people to stumble in the process. That's what Peter's getting at. We'll go back to 2 Peter 2, verse 17. He says, these are springs or wells, depending on your translation, without water. And a well without water is dangerous, right? Because not only will it not quench your thirst, but people fall into those things, right? People get hurt around wells without water. Uh, They're mist driven by a storm for whom the black darkness has been reserved. Verse 18, for speaking out of, uh, speaking out arrogant words of vanity or emptiness, they entice by fleshly desires, by sensuality, those who barely escape from the ones who live in error. 
promising them freedom while they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by what a man is overcome, by this he is enslaved. So he says they speak arrogant, empty words. We've probably all seen gifted public speakers, right? I'm not one of those. But we've seen those people that are just, man, they could talk about anything, and I'm enraptured. I, you know, can't, I want to hear every word that comes out of their mouth. And I've sat through some messages and sermons by certain people that are gifted in that way, and at the end I go, there was nothing to that. There was no meat to it. It was empty. Peter's reminding them, look, it's the truth that sets you free, not a gifted speaker, not a talented uh, motivational speech. And if you want to find someone to tell you that your sin is okay, you can find somebody that will tell you it's okay. But he says, by what a man is overcome, by this he's enslaved. Sometimes we get these questions like, um, you know, as a Christian, can I fill in the blank, right? Uh, can I sleep around? Is that okay? Or if only a little bit? Um, <laughs> you know? um, or which, you know, how drunk can I get? Or how often? And I always ask, well, why are you asking? Right? Is it, do you really want to know, is this sin? Or do you probably have an idea and you just want to know, where's the border? Right? Where's the line? So I can just know not to cross that one. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 12 is interesting. This is Paul talking about that sort of thing. Which things are okay, which things aren't? Because he got those kinds of questions all the time. He says this. He says, all things are lawful for me. In other words, I'm an adult. I can do what I want. But not all things are profitable. All things are lawful for me. But I will not be mastered by anything. He says, not, yeah, I can do whatever I want, but not everything is good for me. And especially if it's something that can, has the potential to enslave me. Right? We need to know ourselves, know what things we're easily entangled by. And if, if you're like me, you know, you've got a, a list of things that I know I need to avoid. Because I'm easily ensnared by that. Now, these last few verses that we're going to get into are, have been the subject of great debate over the years from different um, camps, different schools of thought. Basically, they, people tend to say there are two different views. Right? The question is, uh, as we get into these, is can you lose your salvation? Can you be saved and then end up not being saved? And so there's two main views that you'll see. Uh, Armenian is just basically, yes, you can lose your salvation. You're saved by grace through faith. Um, but then you need to maintain it, right? You need to live a good life. And if you don't, uh, there's a certain point where you'll lose your salvation. And people who believe that, it's always a point that's a little further than wherever they've gone. But, uh, but I grew up in that tradition that I, you know, I saw people who got re-saved all the time. Then there's uh, the other end of the spectrum is a, a Calvinistic view. And that is basically that God made so many, you know, determined these people go to heaven, those people go to hell. And if you don't live a certain way, you just prove which one you are. I believe, and we teach here, um, a third view. 
And that is that uh, what Paul says in Romans 8 is that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things present or things to come uh, nor powers nor height nor depth nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of Christ. That uh, we are saved through faith and it's Jesus who maintains that relationship for us. Now we have a role in there but not when it comes to our eternal destiny. Jesus put it this way in John 6, verse 40. He says, For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in Him will have what? Eternal life. How long is eternal? It's a really long time, right? Forever. Uh, and He doesn't say forever except, you know, not forever if you did this. Uh, and I myself will raise Him up on the last day. And He goes on, uh, later and says, you know, anything that God is, the Father has put into my hand, no, no one can pluck out. Um, but here's the thing. God is a good Father who disciplines his children and blesses his children. Basically, Dad has some house rules, right? If you follow the rules, he has conditional promises, right? You do this, I'll do that. Uh, if you break the rules, well, now I have to deal with that. Sort of like, you know, if you clean your room, we'll go get ice cream. And so you clean your room, guess what? We're going to get ice cream. Uh, if you don't clean your room, there's this other uh, penalty or whatever. There's a thing uh, in Scripture called the, the judgment seat or the Bama seat. You'll hear that word used sometimes. Bema, it just means it's an elevated platform. It's where, like, after a race, you would go to get your medal or your wreath, right? Where you go to get your rewards for the thing you did. In 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10, Paul says this. He says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat or the Bema seat of Christ, so that each one may be recompensed or rewarded for his deeds in the body, According to what he has done, whether good or bad. That is not a judgment for heaven or hell. He says, we're going to talk about how you lived your life. Right? You believed in me, we made that transaction. Now let's talk about what happened after. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 11, he says, No man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. That's the foundation. Now if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones... Wood, hay, or straw. Each man's work will become evident. Now, he uses a, a word here. He says, for the day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire. Very often when you see the word fire in the New Testament, it's a reference to judgment. Right? Not hell necessarily, but it's a reference to judgment. So we've got the things that we did as a believer. Some of them are gold and silver and precious jewels. When you toss those things through fire, what comes out the other end? The same thing, right? It's just maybe purified. You, you pass gold through fire, it's just pure gold. What happens when you throw hay and straw into a fire? It burns up, right? It says, the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built on it remains, he will receive a reward. So anything you've done with the right motives, you did this to serve Jesus, not to be seen by people, whatever, that's the gold and the silver, the stuff that passes through and Jesus says, well done. But verse 15, if any man's work is burned up, 
he will suffer loss. He misses out on some things. But he himself will be saved. Yet so is through fire. Or as though escaping a fire, your, your Bible may say. Basically what Paul says is there are going to be some people who built on the foundation of Jesus. That means they're Christians. And everything they built burnt up. But they were still saved. Kind of like if your house catches fire in the middle of the night. And you can either make it out with your family and all your possessions, or you jump out at the last second and nothing but your socks. You've got nothing to show for the life that you built. In heaven, there will be people who smell like hell, right? That were, that had nothing good in their life after they were saved. And we all probably know a Christian, someone who had professed faith in Jesus and they've struggled with one monkey or another on their back. They never seem to be able to get it together. Their life's a shambles. They can never quite get it right. That's the person that is in, in danger of being this guy, right? That saved yet as though through fire, just barely by the skin of your teeth. All that being said, we'll go and read these verses. Second Peter 2, verse 20. He says, For if, after they have escaped the defilements of the world by the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, so they've come to faith in Jesus, they are again entangled in them and are overcome. The last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would be better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn away from the holy commandment handed on to them. It has happened to them according to the true proverb, a dog returns to its own vomit, and a sow after washing returns to wallowing in the mire. Now, don't get it twisted, right? Remember, what did we say at the beginning? What was the point of Peter's letter that he's writing? Right? It was about, here's how to live your life until Jesus comes back or you go to be with him. And he says, you know what? If you came to faith... And then you get re-entangled in the same problems you had before. Those problems are actually going to be worse. Because you knew what it was like to be delivered. And now you're all tangled up in it again. And if you're anybody that's ever been addicted to anything, you may have experienced this. right? You smoke for years. You quit for three months. You feel good. You take one cigarette. You know, take a drag off one cigarette and you're re-hooked instantly. Right? And then it's harder and harder to quit. You want to see somebody who's miserable, find someone who has fallen back into the sins and addictions from their past after they've been delivered from them. I've been there, done that, and have the t-shirt. So so Peter's point was not, see, they just proved they weren't saved. He says, no, your life here and here on earth is going to be worse. Right? You don't, I, I want... I didn't come that you would just have eternal life. I came that you would have life and have it abundantly. I want you to have the best life you can have, have the biggest impact you can have, and not struggle with the same things over and over. Now, Peter, he mentions that he's quoting a proverb. And the proverb is actually this, Proverbs 26, 11. He says, like a dog that returns to its vomit is a fool who repeats his folly. 
Look, you're not a fool. You're a smart person. You came here today. I don't want you to live life as a fool. I don't want you to get re-entangled in the same things over and over. So what can we take from this? First of all, we know that God can speak through anyone, including a jackass. Uh, and your job, though, is to, is to grow so that you're no longer unstable, right? No longer easily swayed, um, but somebody who's, who's standing firm on the promises of Jesus. Don't, don't go looking for loopholes on, you know, ways that I can get around this, this one promise that I don't like. So that I can just do what comes naturally to me. Right? We run into that all the time when we say, you know, here's how uh, a Christian is supposed to treat other people. And they're like, yeah, but you know, I don't like people. Or whatever. Or that's just not how I am. And I'm like, yeah, too bad. Because he didn't, Jesus didn't say, so live your life just how you are. No, he says, I want, I'm, I'm here to help you transform into something better. You're called to something more. And so the things that come naturally to us, I get it. Like I said, when I'm hungry, I want pizza. But he called me to something bigger and better. Well, pizza's a bad example. Pizza's still good. But... My net, like, you know, I'm naturally short-tempered when it comes to this. Or, you know, I naturally don't like to talk to people or whatever. Yeah. So lead a supernatural life. And finally, no matter what skeptics may say, uh, just stay on the path. Stay in the way. Stay on the path. And that's going to be the focus of the next chapter. He's going to talk about when people come and, and try to seed doubt into your mind. Here's how to stay on track. We'll get into that next time. For now, let me pray for you. Lord, we thank you this morning for uh, just giving us an opportunity to study your word again. And that we got to sing songs of praise and worship. Lord, we know that you warned us about false teachers, not so that we could get puffed up with pride and think our teachers are better than their teachers. But, but Lord, so that we would look for those same traits in ourselves. So God, we just ask this morning that you'd help keep us on the path. Open our eyes to see the way that you would have us go. Keep us from falling for the lies of the world. And help us to help one another to stand firm. Lord, if there's anyone listening here online that... uh, is struggling with these concepts. They maybe don't have a relationship with you yet. We just pray that uh, you would open their eyes, help them to see that you are in their path. Lord, we ask that you would put people in their lives, in their path, to help them see the truth that you did all the work. You paid the price on our behalf, and you made it a simple transaction. If we would trust you to be who you are and to do what you say you can do, that we have eternal life. Lord, we thank you for that. We pray that you come and come quickly. And pray all these things in your holy and precious name. Everyone said, Amen. All right. Ready? Break.